Do you hear that sound? That is the sound of the waves crashing against a bay. But it's not just any bay. It's a Baywatch because this is a Baywatch podcast. In fact, this is Baywatch Rookie School, a podcast where two men who have never watched Baywatch before try and watch Baywatch. I'm Michael Eisen. And I'm Morgan Thrapp. And Michael, I gotta say for this episode, I'm wishing that not only had we not watched Baywatch before, that we had continued our trend of not watching Baywatch. I was gonna say, isn't that the same thing? But then I realized logically you were not saying that. I'm we've had good times. Oh boy. Not this episode, <laughs> but we've had good times. And the t- Yeah, yeah. Times will get better, you know, especially once you get to that episode that's called K Groove. The the gold funk something something about the DJ who sponsors a treasure hunt. Out of yeah. Look, we have we have nuggets of gold to get to on this show. <laughs> we just need to sift through some of the, you know, detritus to get there. I hope so. But this is definitely a full on detritus. In fact, yes, this is a Baywatch season two, episode seven called <laughs> Sandcastles. No, I wasn't going to do that joke. <laughs> I thought you were. We did that a lot last episode. Maybe we'll get another one of those in on this episode. Mm-hmm. But uh, so this episode was written by Garner Simmons and directed by Morgan. Do you know who this was directed by? I cannot by? say that I do. I'm going to take a guess, though. Is it uh, is it Monty Markham? Yes. Oh, God. It makes sense, doesn't it? It Yeah, it starts to make more sense. Yep. And this was aired October 28th, 1991. So let's talk about Garner Simmons. So Garner Simmons, well, he wrote a few episodes of Falcon Crest. Like everybody on this show is associated with Falcon Crest. And he wrote a few episodes of the original version of the sci-fi show V. Are you familiar with that show? I am. I actually quite enjoyed that show. The Did he do the... Oh, it must have been the original, not the remake. Yes. Because the remake was like 2004 no, or whatever. the remake was 2009. Uh, and okay. I actually remember that one came on because that started Marina Baccarin and Laura Vanderroot. And that was sometime after I had discovered Firefly. So I knew who Marina Baccarin was all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, he, he wrote episodes of the original show and he also produced... Uh, that show he produced quite a few shows uh and then he like directed poltergeist five or something like that you know what some <laughs> random shit like that sure some random direct to video kind of thing yeah yeah but uh v was a cool show I, for those who don't I, know oh morgan do you want to describe it oh no i only vaguely remember it i was just gonna say that i've only seen the remake i've never seen the original gotcha so the point is basically lizard aliens try to take over earth that's the point yeah pretty much yep. but let's do guest stars so mm-hmm. first up we have windy roby as june reed morgan do you recognize windy roby uh so i didn't but i was looking her up on imdb because i she looked really familiar to mm-hmm. me both her and charlie uh um, well, we're gonna get to charlie I, later trust me yeah i have a whole thing about that oh boy um yeah but yeah i was uh as soon as i saw that uh she was on twin peaks I was like, oh, duh, of course, that's where I know her from. Yes, so she plays Nadine Hurley in Twin Peaks, a show I still have not seen. One day I'll maybe watch it when I'm not trying to watch The Circle. Uh, uh, 
Yes. <laughs> Which is. Yeah. Folks, folks, if you want to see a, a good show, go mm, watch The Circle. Mm. Season two just dropped. And Michael, you cannot even begin to tell me that it is not infinitely better than at least it's this episode. Better. I'm not. Look, I can't. I don't know why this is the episode where I decide to all of a sudden admit I actually know what quality is. And I'm just like <laughs> pretending <laughs> half the time. But like, that's what it's going to be. The Circle isn't good i still love it just like all reality television is not good but i love it you know i cannot believe we're in a situation where i'm the one defending a reality tv show <laughs> against you <laughs> well look this, this episode's truly broken us yeah yeah but fun fact this episode of baywatch came out four months after twin peaks ended oh. this was her next role uh, okay. Yeah. Now, mind you, a year later, uh, Firewalk with Me came out, and then, of course, the 2017 version, or the the sequel, came out. But uh, yeah, sure. so this was her next role after that. And like, I, I looked at other stuff she's done, and nothing really stands out. So that was her big, big thing. Next, we have Peggy McIntaggery, who plays Leah in this episode, and I only want to talk to her. And I only want to talk about her so I can talk about this movie where she did hair and makeup for it. She was also in it, but she did hair and makeup for it. And it's called Quigley. Now, Morgan, what do you think a movie called Quigley is about? I'm going to guess that it's some sort of like super B, like Roger Corman-esque horror movie. No, it's not. But I do have the description (laughs) here for you. Yeah. Archie played by Gary Busey, is oh? is a rich and utterly despicable practical joker. What? This, this gets way weirder in the next sentence, don't worry. Okay. He is one week away from playing a CD-ROM that will change the lives of his trusted manager, Dexter, and other employees oh, forever what the when he is suddenly involved in a deadly accident. <laughs> Wait... <laughs> Don't worry. Wait, what? Don't worry, it gets better. It gets better. He quickly discovers that instead of entering heaven's pearly gates, he is being sent back to Earth to clean up the mess he created. What? Okay, can you guess what the next plot point is going to be? I, I, time travel? Okay, so Morgan, hold on to your seat. Since okay. he has an absolute dislike for animals, especially dogs. <laughs> it is quickly decided that he should return to Earth as a dog. And not just any dog, mind what? you. What? But a fluffy white Pomeranian named Quigley. What? Okay, this gets better. This gets better. Sweeney, an observing guardian angel, will accompany him. He is the only person who will actually see the real Archie. Everyone else sees Quigley. He's given two very different assignments. One, this is just like, we'll just keep on building on this. Michael, you're telling me you knew about this movie and we watched this episode of Baywatch instead? No, I found out about this like two hours ago. Uh, So two different assignments. One is to retrieve the CD-ROM before it is played. And the other is to help his brother, Woodward, and his family... (laughs) Who he hasn't talked to in years. 
Quigley, a very confused Archie, has much to do and little time to do it. So that is the plot of Quigley. I'm so curious about the CD-ROM, because they just keep throwing it in there like he's one week from playing a CD-ROM that will change everyone's lives, and then he's a dog. Can you guess what movie, what? what year this came out? Uh... God, I don't know. This feels like 98, 99, maybe. I'll give you one more guess. Uh, oh, God. 2010? 2003. Okay. Yeah, 2003. Huh. Uh, but my hope is that the CD-ROM is just like a copy of Doom or something. <laughs> that's Next. so, that's oh, so yes. weird. I just want to know... Why is he a week away from playing it? Like, we, anyway. we have to watch. The IMDb anyway. isn't going to give us everything, you know. We got to we gotta watch it. Yeah, sure. We want to know. Next up, we have Hector the Collector, who is played by Ron Howard. Wait. George. Ron uh, Howard George. <laughs> I was going to say, men do not look like Ron Howard. I know, I know. So he was in a 1993 sci-fi series called Space Rangers about a police force stationed on planet Avalon's Fort Hope. So this show is more notable for having starred Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa as Xylan. Do you know who Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa is? I That name does not sound familiar to me at all. He would later go on to play Shang Tsung in Mortal Kombat. Oh! A movie Morgan watched last week. Mm-hmm. Notably, this is his next role after appearing in Thunder in Paradise as his Baywatch character, which we will meet this season. Wow. Yep. That's amazing. Yep. So, mind you, uh, it's very, very weird. So, his character appears in an episode of Baywatch, two episodes of Thunder in Paradise, and then is the villain for the reunion Baywatch movie that literally ends the series. Like the huh. Like Not the so 2017 they, one. The No, no, okay. 2003. So they had gotcha. the series ends 2001. They have uh White Thunder on Glacier. I think it's No, it's Baywatch Hawaiian Wedding. Right. And he it's I've read the plot. It's fucking wild. It's so <laughs> fucking wild. And I don't want to sp- please don't like spoil it for yourself like I did. Uh I did it so I could write notes. Um, but there are some twists in there that I really want you to be surprised about. All right. Um, and it's going to take you a couple of years to find mm-hmm. out what those surprises are. But I really want you to be surprised. Uh, other than the fact that, you know, he does come back and he's the villain. So it's 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 very weird that he does that. Uh, but we'll find out about him later later this season. Yeah. So now, lastly... Uh, well, actually, not lastly. Let me let me switch this around. So, random aside, uh, this is the first episode where long-term costume supervisor Maritza Garcia Roddy takes the helm. So, I guess that that means something. Um, I don't know if I can tell that there's that much of a difference. I will but- say the scene later on where Harvey is uh, just showing us all what his kink is. Um, there's one swimsuit in that scene that is amazing. Um, is the yellow one? No, no, it's the like color blocked vapor wavy one. Oh, uh, honestly, I 
as much as I hate that scene, I thought all of the swimsuits were quite fashionable. Uh. Yeah. No, I agree. But there was one in particular that, I mean, it could be a Vaporwave album cover, and I loved it. We could make it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so now for our most famous actor of this episode, Nikki Cox, who plays Charlie Reed. So um, for me, when I saw that it was Nikki Cox, I freaked out a little bit because uh, I love Nikki Cox personally. Um, but before we get into that, let me just tell you, this character does come back to the show. Really? In three years. Okay. That makes so there's sense. this episode where they're like, yo, government, don't cut the lifeguard budget. Here's some people they have saved. And that is also oh. how Mamo comes back. Oh, no. So it's Mamo, her, and someone we haven't met yet are like, oh. they helped us. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, Nikki Cox. So uh, do, have you seen Nikki Cox before? No, I looked her up on IMDb as well um, when I was watching this episode, and I don't think I've seen anything else she's been in except... There's one thing, um, I mean, I've seen Terminator 2, um, yeah. there's one other thing, uh, that I'm forgetting now, um, I'm scrolling through her IMDb right now, but, no, I was not familiar with her work. So, she was basically the it girl of the mid to late 90s. Uh, mm. I, I think of her in the same way that, like, in the early 2000s, like, Hilary Duff and Lindsay Lohan were everywhere. Sure. So was Nikki Cox. Uh, so a good way to think of her is like, so remember Married with Children had, uh, Christina Applegate, right? And Christina Applegate was like the it girl. She was, you know, the daughter of the, of the main character of the show and broke out because, you know, she was an attractive young person. And Nikki Cox kind of also had that happen, but we're going to get that in a second. Mm. First off, she was in Mac and Me. That's the other thing I knew her from. She's an uncredited dancer. Mm Mm-hmm. But she was on the hit show, Unhappily Ever After, which I watched a bunch of. Uh, it's 100 episodes long. It was from 95 to 99. Basic premise. It's kind of based off of the success of Married with Children, doing something like that, but different. Mm. Main character is a guy who, uh, like, he's a dad, and at one point he kind of loses his head, and he starts imagining this like imaginary friend which is there's this uh like bunny or just like rabbit puppet that they have in their basement and he starts imagining that it's come to life and it starts he starts like talking to it yeah and it's it's like a it's a it's a comedy it's like a it's in the same vein of married with children and so she plays the daughter on the show and at first, she wasn't like a main care, like main focus. She was like, oh, I'm it's like, whatever, I, I'm, I'm the daughter. And then they realized, oh, well, she's like super popular. So then mm-hmm. they switched her to be co-main star oh. of the show in like the last three seasons, I think, or two seasons. And this was a five season show. So wow. from there next year. So that goes to ninety nine next year. She gets the main role on uh, a main role on Norm McDonald's show Norm. That goes 
for two years. Then, immediately after that, like the next year, she gets her own TV show called Nikki, which runs for like three years. Wow. And then she ends up on a show called Las Vegas. And this this point is just for you and me. I don't think it's really going to make sense to a lot, a lot of people. <laughs> but it stars Josh Jamel as a character named Dan McCoy, uh, which oh. I think is funny. Um, <laughs> So, Norm was only 27 episodes, Unhappily Ever After was 100, Nikki was 41 episodes, and Las Vegas was 87 episodes. So, that's pretty decent. Now, in 2002, she was named, uh, she was put number 89 in Stuff Magazine's 102 Sexiest Women in the World, and number 51 on Maxim's Hot 100 of 2005. That aside, uh, as much as those lists suck... I had a huge, huge, huge crush on Nikki Cox growing up. Huge crush. Yeah. But in the last, then she, uh, then she married Jay Moore, who's a comedian. Uh, you've probably seen him or something. But in the last decade or so, most of the focus shifted towards uh, her plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. And uh, already going like, oh well, it ruined it. It, it ruined her. Yada yada. <sighs> sure. Uh, sure. And. In that regard, yeah, like her career hasn't really, you know, done much since she said she was being a mom, and then she got divorced. Uh, but I mean, yeah, it kind of did hurt her career partially because they focused on it so much. Exactly. Uh, but she was very well known in the mid to late nineties, is my point. Uh, and this was like before she hit it big. But for them to get her in three years still okay because she hadn't hit it big yet because unhappily ever after started the next year they were not going to get her back after that though because there's no way they were going to like even with baywatch there's no way nikki cox was had time to do baywatch she was so busy doing stuff yeah yeah it sounds like she had quite the 90s she had quite the 90s and early 2000s which yes i do so i have been half browsing the unhappily ever after Wikipedia page because this show doesn't make sense to me. But uh, I do want to read one short section of the Wikipedia page describing part of one of the storylines in the third season of unhappily ever after. Uh, And I don't, this makes no sense to me and maybe it makes more sense to you, but Mm -hmm. um, stories focused on Tiffany and Ryan's high school, then community college escapades. And the producers tried to kill off uh, Janine's, Jenny's increasingly unnecessary character and return her as a ghost. Negative audience reaction made them quickly reverse this action. The character was brought back to life in a deliberately bizarre sequence in which a network executive wandered onto the set and announced that she was no longer dead. Nevertheless, Hodge decided to leave the show, and several episodes after Jenny's bizarre reappearance, she abandoned her family for a lesbian lover and was never seen again. What the fuck? Now, hold on one second here. (laughs) I think I have a trivia fact about that. Hold on. Okay. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Wait. Uh, It's some real OA season two shit, and I'm very confused. No, I don't. Unfortunately, I don't have. I thought it was something. Oh, I'm just a fucking idiot. Never mind. Anyways, uh, I don't have a trivia fact for that, uh, but that I do think that is funny um, that someone would just walk on stage, just go, she's not dead. Yeah, I think that's that's my kind of humor right there. <laughs> I love that shit. And uh, it, it does make sense to me. And the fact that a couple episodes after that, 
the actress was like, actually, I don't want to be on the show anyway. So they were like, cool, you're now leaving your family to go run off with your lesbian lover. And that's the end of your storyline. After we brought you back to life by virtue of weird meta commentary. How is this not just an SNL skit? Like, how is this a real show? I used to love the show. Yeah. I mean, I don't. That's the funny part. It doesn't make a lot of sense. No, Um, (laughs) it sure doesn't. (laughs) But okay. quick aside, the end of Unhappily Ever After spoilers for a show that ended in 1999. Sorry, is that Mm -hmm. in the final episode, Jack makes enough money to send Nikki Cox to Harvard. Once he starts making money, Jack's the main character, he no longer needs Mr. Floppy, and his schizophrenia is cured, with Floppy being returned to just being a stuffed animal. But then Jack goes insane from drinking again and brings Floppy back from the dead, the end. Oh, oh, oh boy. Yeah, sounds like a show that uh, I'm just real sad I missed out on. Yeah, uh, honestly... I don't I haven't watched it in a long time, but I remember loving it. So I might go back and I don't know, watch some of it. But yeah. Uh, yeah. And then the other some of the other like uh, Kevin Connolly went on, who was on the show, who went on to be an entourage as one of the main characters. Um, oh, wait, who is he in entourage? He plays Eric Murphy. Oh, shit. OK. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, so Unhappily Ever After was his first was his first TV. No, not his first TV role. Sorry. But he he was in all 100 episodes. He also directed 6 episodes. Hmm. Um so yeah. But one last thing, one last thing cuz we're just trying to avoid this episode, y'all. Uh, yeah. We're like 24 minutes in and we haven't talked about this episode yet. <laughs> is that uh and look, I know I said I like this show. I'm not saying it's good. Same thing applies to Baywatch. Mm-hmm. Part of Tiffany, Nikki Cox's character's character description on Wikipedia is she's also a practicing gold digger. What? Yes. Oh, my God. She's also been repeatedly alluded to. Uh, her figure has been repeatedly alluded to as a result of her suffering some kind of eating disorder. Uh, and then they say she's similar to Kelly Bundy in terms of personality. Uh, but. And the difference is, is that they made her really, really smart, which was the point of Kelly Bundy was that they're like, oh, she's not that smart. I, I don't I don't know who that is. Oh, did you not watch Married with Children? I've I've never seen Married with Children before. Oh, OK. Well, for people who have seen Married with Children, <laughs> an absolute classic of a TV show. Uh, yeah, she's supposed to be kind of based off of Christine Applegate's Kelly Bundy character. I did not know you never watched Married with Children. No. I mean, so many of the shows from that era uh, just are not just part of my cultural lexicon. At this point, we are turning into that other Baywatch podcast that doesn't talk about Baywatch. (laughs) Um, And I get why for this episode. On most episodes, I'd rather talk about Baywatch. But, Mm -hmm. Morgan, I think it's time for us to get into this episode. Yeah, I guess it is. This episode starts off... uh, Unlike the way we got into the episode, it starts off racing into it um, mm-hmm. with Shawnee and Eddie just running on the beach and flirting. And then they find a group of homeless people and both Shawnee and Eddie just 
stare at the homeless people as if they aren't human and don't matter um, and comment in front of the homeless people about how sad they are that there are so many homeless people. It, it's so representative of the 90s in that, like, these people serve more of a purpose for a mise-en-scene than they do actual people. Yes. Right? They're just like, look, do you see these downtrodden? Yeah. Wow. Glad we are not them. It's, uh, and then yeah. We, it's so... It's so frustrating, this entire episode. Like, even the one character, Shawnee, who is, like, you can tell at least has good intentions, is still just, like, so fucking patronizing and, like, treating them like... Like, almost everyone in this episode treats homeless people like they are subhuman. Shawnee at least treats them like they are humans who... Uh, at least a some small percentage of them might be worthy of pity. Like it's oh god, it's, it's very depressing because if you remember, Eddie was homeless in season one. Yeah, yeah. At the beginning of the show, he was. Ho- that's the whole point of why he lived with Craig. He yeah. was homeless. He was living in a tower. How does he hate the home? Like I, he hates the homeless because he hates himself. I fucking get it. Yeah. That that scene later in this episode where he talks about why. Oh, God. Oh, God. Whew, that was the scene where I had to take a break. I was like, I anyway, we'll get to it. This is the first episode of Baywatch where I've had to take breaks during the episode. I just I'm just saying that right now. Like yeah. I, I somehow survived last episode without taking a break. I had to take three breaks during this episode. Yeah, it's, it's really bad. Yeah. Uh, but Shawnee, the rich girl, wants to help them. Uh, but then they run away. They just fucking run away. Yeah. Yeah. They they talk to each other in front of this group of people and say, well, other towns just keep giving them bus tickets and sending them out to the beach. And then they just run away. And it's yeah. like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, so then Eddie goes to open his tower and <laughs> finds that a homeless person has broken into his tower and slept there. And so Eddie kicks him in the side and says, Mm -hmm. hey, it's time for you to wake up and go. Um, And he has a picture of Shawnee and Eddie's like super mad, like, how dare you? That's my picture. You can't have that. And then he goes to leave. And then the guy who's still in the tower grabs a shard of glass and stabs Eddie and then steals the picture of Shawnee and runs off. So besides the obvious problem with this scene, Mm-hmm. I have another problem with this scene. Oh. And that is Eddie gets stabbed and he no-sells it. Do you know what a no-sell means? I mean, I can take a guess. Um, yeah. Which is that he just doesn't sell it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he he gets stabbed and he makes the same noise to getting stabbed that Susie Essman does in the Palestinian chicken episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, where she keeps on going ah, every time she takes a sip of something. I've shown you this episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's the only episode you've seen. You uh, have. I, I don't remember that particular bit, but I do remember. Yeah, the, the whole point is Larry uh, is Larry David or her daughter tells Larry David, hey, like, I need you to get my mom to like guilt my mom to like stop saying ah, every time she takes a sip of something. And then eventually, like, it, it causes everything to break down. But like he just gets stabbed. He just goes, ah. 
yeah. and then he just gets up and walks away. I'm like, you fucking idiot. You got stabbed. Like, come on. It's it's so bad. It's it's the it's the worst Billy Warlock acting I've seen in this show. <laughs> this whole episode, the acting just felt particularly bad to me. Yes. Like yes. it was another episode. It's what, two in a row now where Shawnee's been in full PSA mode where all of her lines are just delivered very earnestly to camera. Um, yes, yes. And everyone else in this episode is just bad. <laughs> we'll get into that. Oh, God. Um, but now now we get um, what should be a really terrible scene, but in comparison is actually not that bad, yeah. uh, which is that Hobie's running off with some of his friends to go get the latest issue of a surf magazine. And Harvey's like, when did Hobie start care about caring about surfing? And Mitch is like, it's the swimsuit issue, and he's getting old enough now. As I have the exact line, actually. Oh, yeah, go ahead. He goes, it's weird. It's like overnight he goes from looking at skags to checking out legs. Now, right. do you know what a skag is? I, I do not. It's power equipment, kind of like a John Deere. Oh. So, like, I don't know about you. Now, granted, <laughs> I was his age a decade after literal decade after this uh but when i was his age i wasn't looking at power equipment i it's not just the fact that like the internet existed and like video (laughs) games were different it's like i was reading comic books or like going i i I don't know going outside and doing things i wasn't looking at power like what would he do with power equipment he's not even allowed to drink coke (laughs) <laughs> like, you can't be trusted around power equipment. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, this uh, episode's bad. Um, yeah, it's but really yeah, bad. Harvey is like, I'll give him the talk, and that's when I knew this episode was going to be even worse. Mm-hmm. Harvey's plot throughout this entire episode is just fucking. It's. Oh, my God. It's nothing. And it's so infuriating. I have a revelation about him at the very end of the episode, and I'm going to I'm going to wait till then to tell you about it. But all right. I I look forward to it. Maybe something good can come out. of this No, it's episode. not. It's not something good. <laughs> oh, I'm just great. saying I have a revelation. <laughs> um, but yeah, now now we get Hobie going to a hot dog stand where he sees a girl stealing stuff. Uh-uh, then, uh-uh. It's not a hot dog stand because they are serving burritos. Oh, I guess I'm too used to New York. Yeah, <laughs> like he literally is like one burrito. And yeah, it's just like it's a food. St- I don't know. It's weird. It's a food stand that also has like Hershey's chocolate and burritos. Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of like a like a bodega, but in a food truck and with burritos, I guess, not hot dogs. I um, never as a West Coaster. I don't think I've ever used the term bodega. Yeah, it's so weird to me that that's only a New York thing. Like, it's not even an East Coast thing, really. Like, the term has spread outside of New York to, like, you know, Jersey and Mass or whatever. Yeah, I've heard it from my dad, who's from Jersey, but not from people here. Sure. Well, that's because that's because Jersey thinks it's New York and and that's cute. Um, But yeah, this this girl who we will later learn is Charlie uh, is stealing some stuff from the the burrito stand 
when the owner catches her and chases her off and she drops her harmonica uh, and Hobie sees this and grabs the harmonica and runs after her. Yeah, I now if if I was 10 or 11 Mm -hmm. and I was watching this. I would have immediately had the hugest crush on Nikki Cox. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, I, I saw this and I was like, oh, cool. It's Nikki Cox. Like, I bet this is going to be great. And it's not. Uh, no. 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 But we have some time before we. Um, yeah. We get to her. Yeah. Uh, now. Now we get another great scene. <sighs> um. Shawnee's tending to Eddie's wound uh, from the stab with the shard of glass, and uh, Eddie is sick of the fact that homeless people get treated with respect sometimes, um, uh, and thinks that we should stop sugarcoating it and just call them all criminals. Vagrant, um, specifically. Yeah, it's really bad. Shawnee basically tells him to drop it and what matters is that you're okay. And he says, the only thing that matters is that I catch the guy. <sighs> and it's so, it's so fucking frustrating. Like, is. Eddie is just so incredibly shitty this entire episode. And no one in this show, from the characters to obviously the writers or directors or producers of this show, have even remotely what could be considered like acceptable opinions in the year 2021. Um, but Eddie is just on another fucking level. Like, Oh God, he's just like, he's the worst throughout this entire episode. The worst, just like centrist bullshit of like the real reason homeless people are homeless is because they're just not trying hard enough and they're not stubborn enough and they gave up and you know most of them don't even want to work and want to be doing this and it's like fuck off eddie my my hope is that david hasselhoff given his um his sincere um concern for like what he saw in East and West Germany yeah, uh, would at least understood it a little bit better, but he also wasn't the writer nor yeah. the director. He was just a producer. So it doesn't mean he could like necessarily say, you got to do a new episode. This one won't work. Like it's not, it's like not his job. I mean, so he didn't he self fund like most of season two? No. So he, he took the salary cut. A lot of their funding was from the syndication and then from the production studios in in Germany. But he did gotcha. he did do some self-funding, but he wasn't like majority. Gotcha. So like he wouldn't have probably had the power to say, scrap that, get a new writer, get a whole new script. Like, I don't think they necessarily have the the leisure to to have the time to even do that. Yeah, that's um, probably true. But I, I absolutely imagine David Hasselhoff would not have had these opinions just because it seems like a weird stretch for him to be like, mm. the, the living conditions in Germany are, in East Germany, are repugnant, but in L.A. <laughs> I mean, honestly, my suspicion is that this was the 90s and he was rich. Like, my guess is his views are, are Shawnee. Possibly. Quite Possibly. Um, especially at the time, you know, who knows these days, but. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, know, I mean, I could have seen him being more Shawnee than Eddie. Absolutely. You know, I could yeah. have seen that. Yeah. Uh, that And that's 
this is the most controversial statement I'll ever make on the on this <laughs> on this show, which is that is nineties fine. That is nineties yes. okay. No, it I is agree. like it is like, you know, you you are four inches up, you know, mm-hmm. up the up the stick. You know, it's 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 twelve inches, you're four inches there, that's good <laughs> enough for right now. Right? You're gonna you're gonna make it to nine, but you're four inches up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have to make up my own idioms because <laughs> I don't know any, so I have to make them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think your four inches up is going to be an idiom that really, really catches on. I couldn't remember what like uh, what it's called, and I, I, then I'm like, it's a ruler, you fucking idiot! Four <laughs> inches up the ruler. I kept on thinking yardstick, meter stick. I mean, stick? Yard, stick? yardstick would have been a better uh, pick than 12-inch pole. <laughs> I didn't say 12-inch pole, did I? I think you did. I don't know. I, editing editor, <laughs> editor, a.k.a. Morgan, please play that back. <laughs> M- Morgan, if, if I said, okay, what, I, what I'm going to need you to do is at this part in the episode, I'm going to mm-hmm. need you to cut into the podcast mm-hmm. and either admit you were wrong or or say Michael was wrong, and then we can have that on record. All right. I will definitely do that. Absolutely. Positively. Hopefully. Hey, Morgan here. I beg your forgiveness and humbly apologize for being wrong and do hope that this will not ruin your enjoyment of the rest of this episode of the podcast. So without further ado, uh, let's get back into it. our next scene to spare you from having to describe this scene more please is garner is on the beach and he has an actual police crew inspecting the tower Mm -hmm. this is the first time i've ever seen this do we think garner runs a department i don't know like he has always seemed to be a very low status character in the context of the other police like he seems to make it very clear that his being delegated to the beach was like a punishment or a, a relegation, maybe. Um, He's just the inspiration for season two of The Wire. <laughs> they're like, we're sending you to the docks. He's getting sent to the beach. Yeah. yeah. They're like, God, God damn it, McNulty. I mean, LRB. <laughs> God, we should have just watched season two of The Wire instead of watching season two of Baywatch. Uh, can't do that. This isn't Wire Rookie School, and I've seen <laughs> The Wire. This is Baywatch Same. Rookie School, a podcast for two men. <laughs> there we go. I did it. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> but anyways, Mitch says that the lifeguards have pulled out two dozen transients from the water in mm-hmm. the last two months. I'm telling you, it gets dangerous out here. And then they see yeah. a shard of glass with blood. So they're going to test their prints. Anyways, Morgan, tell me about this next scene, which makes completely, absolutely a lot of sense. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Harvey is on his tower when his ex-girlfriend Leah shows up to throw his stuff at her or at him with some new muscly guy in a speedo because he had been living with her and was supposed to pay half the rent, but then he didn't because he gambled it all away on the horse track or something. And then he yells at muscles to not throw his boombox in the sand. And 
this is the start of the Harvey plot in this episode that is so fucking stupid. Like, it goes nowhere and it means nothing. And the entire plot is probably a minute and a half, two minutes in this episode. And a full a full minute of that is this scene. Like, they just keep doing, like, random five-second interstitial cuts to him. Um, yeah. Well, luckily, I think I only get one of those five-second interstitial cuts. I can think of at least three. Oh. Um, yeah, it's it's bad. But, yeah, that's uh, that's that scene. And now we go to another <laughs> bad scene. So uh, you tell me about this, and then I will tell you about it. All right, so... Yeah, I'm going to guess that we have different songs in this montage. Yes. Um, my song I could not find, but it was actually pretty good, which was surprising because the montage is shot like a music video with mm-hmm. lots of like weird focus and mm-hmm. Dutch angles. Um, and all of the footage is basically just poverty porn of homeless people mm-hmm. where you, the viewer, can go, aw, isn't it so bad that these people are suffering? I'm sure glad I'm not like them. Look at how different they are from me. They've made bad decisions, and such a thing could never happen to me, a good person. And I fucking hated it so much. Same. Yeah. Yep. I absolutely hate it as well. Um my version mm-hmm. so the credits say this is you got me by Sa- by sarah thiel but it's absolutely not that <laughs> in fact to get the right credit i had to go to baywatchingmasteredhd.com to find out that is this is actually close to heaven by jeff scott soto uh and he is best known as the vocalist on yang Wee malmstein's first two albums he was oh. also Lead vocalist for Journey. Wait. From from 2006 to 2007. There's actually a chance. I'm trying to remember what year it is. Because I have seen It's 2021. (laughs) Thank you, Michael. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) I have seen Journey live in concert. And it was around that time. So there is a chance that I saw him vocal as the, like, vocal front man for Journey. Possible. Now, also, he is one of the vocalists for Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Have you seen them live? I haven't, but I do love them. He's still apparently one of the vocalists. I mean, because there's a billion vocalists. He's been vocalist in 2008 on. But I give this song a D minus, mostly because I hate the idea that they did a montage of homeless people with some heavy bass, early 90s sounding rock ballad. It just I hate that. Hear the lyrics. Oh, God. Turn another corner and you'll see the darker places. Lean in harder. Find the future in their faces. Already a bad line. Standing in line behind the promise of affection. In every corner, there's a reason for reflection. Gutter trash line. Crying over wrong and right. They can only wave the flag so high. Watching you walk by and they'll never keep us waiting for so long. We are on our way to somewhere close to heaven. A little bit of heaven. And the love that tides us over can't be wrong. We are on our way to somewhere close to heaven. A little bit of heaven. Close to heaven. Innocence following disarray can only lead to harm. Better off giving up fighting over color and creed. What does that mean? 
Heaven is watching our kids grow. The keeper of the calm. Keeper of the calm. They know easily love is going to be the way home. The way is love. The way is love. And they'll never keep us waiting for long. We are on our way to somewhere close to heaven. A little piece of heaven. And the love that ties us over can't be wrong. We are on our way to somewhere close to heaven. A little piece of heaven. (laughs) Close to heaven. Close to heaven. So, I think the version of season two that I have must have the remastered music or something, because that's the same song I had. Oh. And I I actually... I kind of liked it. I thought it was pretty good. I think you maybe watched the wrong one because I know that there's a different one because I watched a Alison Pregler's review of this episode and she shows this montage and shits on it and her music is different. Huh? Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because I downloaded all nine seasons from the same very legal source. Um, and season one definitely had the original music, but season two seems like maybe it doesn't. So maybe I don't know. check on Daily Motion. Yeah, I should. Yeah, it might. Yeah, we'll we'll see next episode. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's not a great. I don't I don't like the song. I I I personally hate it, but uh, I also um, I don't know. I just yeah. hated the montage. In general. No, the montage was really bad. But then it okay. So it then cuts to Charlie, right? Because mm-hmm. Charlie is, I guess, a homeless vagrant. And so she's writing in this journal that her and her mom keep. And they have very, very different styles of handwriting. They both write in cursive. Her mom's cursive is atrocious. Uh, but her cursive is readable. And here's what she writes, because I paused the episode to read it. Oh. It's so tough to be living on the streets. I took a sandwich and the guy absolutely freaked out. I don't know where my mom is. I can't find her. And then Hobie interrupts her. I'm impressed that they did something so relevant. Uh, (laughs) One word to describe it. But she then hears Hobie playing her harmonica and she's like, that's got to be my harmonica. As if there's like only one person (laughs) in Venice Beach (laughs) that owns a fucking harmonica. You know, that's a really good point now that I think about it. Because she, without even looking up from her journal, goes, hey, that's my harmonica. It's like, my dude, there are at least seven other dudes on this street who are playing harmonica. And, like, one of them is, like, playing, I mean, probably in 2021, one of them is playing, like, Hey Soul Sister or something, you know? (laughs) Uh, You know? Oh, God. One of them is trying to play, you know, Focus by Hocus Pocus. So, like, they're, they're all just playing, like, something different, and all the harmonicas are just playing over each other. But Hobie, Hobie's, like, the king of harmonica. Yeah. I didn't know it was possible to play anything other than Creedence Clearwater Revival on a harmonica, but so, so Hobie's, Hobie's sure trying. Do you want to hear a story? Yes. Okay. So, uh, fun story. I, uh, well, I guess technically not as relatable to you, but I, I didn't go to my high school uh, prom, mm-hmm. and the reason is because I went to a wedding instead in New York. Oh, so my cousin was getting married. He he lives in Japan and he was getting married to this woman who I I think I brought up the term Christmas cake before. Do you know this term? I do not. OK, 
So, Christmas cake, or uh, like fruit cake, right? People call it fruit cake, Christmas cake, right? Sure. You know, whatever. Good on the 23rd, okay on the 24th, not great on the 25th. Mm-hmm. Which is a term they use in Japan to describe the eligibility of women. Oh. It's really bad. Yeah. But it's a term that's used. She was 30. So her parents were, like, afraid that she was never going to get married. And then this, you know, white guy, good-looking dude, studied at Harvard, comes along, has a job at Sony uh, in Japan. Mm -hmm. And they're, like, you know, head over heels in love with him. And so he brings her, the family, and, like, some of her close friends to New York. So they're going to do a ceremony in New York and a ceremony in Japan. And I'm not, and we weren't gonna afford, we couldn't afford to go to Japan, so we're like we're sure. gonna go to the New York one. <laughs> so go to the New York one, and uh, one side of the family. This is so this is my mom's oldest sister's son, so mm-hmm. his first cousin, and so his sister, my all, my other first cousin, her father in law is this dude named Chip, and Chip, what he likes to do is he likes to play the harmonica at parties, so. <laughs> So we're at this party. We're mm-hmm. we're in downtown Manhattan. We're in this nice room, and there's all these people there. And they're like, you know, we really want to thank you all for coming today. I really appreciate everybody coming out, even coming from Japan. Chip, would you like to play us something? And Chip's like, oh, would I ever? But Chip starts, pulls out his harmonica, which he always keeps in his front pocket of his suit. Oh, I have met this guy five God. times. Each time he's wearing a suit and has his harmonica and it, in case someone asks him to play the harmonica. <laughs> so a scenario out. that has literally never happened. <laughs> it's been every single time for Chip, though. So it's like wow. Chip, that's Chip's thing. So I, t- I, I was near my aunt and I go, does he do this all the time? <laughs> goes, oh, yeah. We love it when Chip does this. And I'm like, do we? Wow. Uh, so Chip pulls out the harmonica and he's like, you know, like harmonica noises, whatever. Sure. Uh, and it's like he does like a minute of harmonica and then sits back down. Everyone claps. And I look <laughs> at like the the dad of the bride who's just like arms crossed, just like clearly staring, like confused. He's like, why did this man just stand up and play the harmonica (laughs) at my daughter's wedding party? Uh, But the bride's sister is just like, oh my God, that was great. Hell yeah. Uh, So funny. And so then my mom goes up to to Chip later. She's like, Chip, that was great. He goes, well, I always like playing to my fans. Uh, I'm... I'm just impressed by anyone who that perfectly embodies the the philosophy of honking on Bobo. <laughs> uh, speaking of honking on Bobo, Hobie's fashion is crazy. <laughs> yes. I kind of love it. <laughs> it's a lot. A lot of the fashion in this episode is a lot. Yeah. Well, I know what else is a lot, Morgan. This whole fucking episode. I mean, yes. But I was going to say that Hobie asks... Charlie, if she knows how to play the harmonica, she says no, and then she plays it. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I'm not sure I would classify what she does as playing it, because what she says is, I just like being able to hear myself breathe, and then just breathes in and out on the harmonica for a little bit. Sure. This is is a part where I have a comment on her acting. Yeah, me too. It feels almost too naturalistic. 
for Baywatch. Oh, that's not the comment I have at all. Um, she she just her the way she talks is a is a way of talking so different from the way everyone else in this show talks. Yeah, it's especially I think interesting in comparison to Hobie. And like, you know, she's got a couple years on him, which when the actors are this young matters a lot. But I mean, she is acting circles around him in this for sure. But even she there's a couple min- moments that just feel super forced. Um, I, I just don't like the way she talks. is just so so weird. I, I, I don't know. It it uh, I don't know. I don't normally know how to describe it other than I guess forced. Uh, but also like too conversational in a way that's just like like if you were to come up behind me and like tap me on the shoulder and I might just go hey what's up mm-hmm. and that's like the the tone in which she says everything I mean I think I think it only feels off because she's so much better than everyone she interacts with in this show except for David Hasselhoff please I know, I know. Yeah, this episode <laughs> is not not great. Yeah, have some thoughts about that later. Don't yeah, um, but yeah, you know, she's uh, she initially wants nothing to do with Hobie, but then Hobie just won't take no for an answer, so he keeps bugging her until she gives him the harmonica and a hat and says, "I have a job," and Hobie goes, "You have a job," and I. Because so specifically what happens is he's like, you wear makeup. And she goes, yeah, I do sometimes. And then he goes, and you have a job. And I was very worried where this show is going to go um, because I don't trust this show. Um, But it turns out that uh, what happens is she basically panhandles. And so she convinces Hobie to go busking with her. Uh, he plays her deaf brother who's playing harmonica. Um, and Charlie meets some very old ladies who love them, are just the best. It really feels like they were just random people they pulled off the streets of Venice. Complaining about some place that they went to. Exactly. It was bad. I thought it was good. Yeah. Oh my god, I love And Charlie, Charlie comes up to them and asks for money, and the woman was like, oh, will a quarter do anything? And then Charlie is like... she says that? Yes. They cut that out of mine. Oh, interesting. She, yeah. All I see is she just puts, like, money in her hand and then goes, but what's wrong with him? Yeah. No, she... She's like, oh, here, will a quarter help? And then Charlie's like, see that? That's my deaf brother. And then she's like, oh, here's another dollar. (laughs) (laughs) Which, by Um, the way, Cool Cat Stops Coronavirus, I think, came out this week. Oh, really? I knew it was coming out soon, but I didn't. We missed our chance to get in the credits. I know. I don't think we want to be associated with it necessarily, though. The update videos that Derek was posting on YouTube. Daddy Derek. Daddy Derek. uh, That man... Every video seems to be wearing increasingly less clothing and sweating increasingly more. And I was very upset every time a video thumbnail popped up in my subscriptions. It's very much like watching a descent into mania. Yes. Yeah. 
But I would still rather watch that than watch this episode ever again. Yeah. Um, this scene ends when Charlie tries to get money from Kay. Uh, she's walking down the boardwalk and she recognizes Hobie and Hobie runs away. I thought um, I actually laughed at that. He's just books it. Yeah. First, he just turns away and then he hightails it out of there. Uh, so, yeah, the next scene is Mitch and Hobie are hanging out at home playing uh, Mousetrap when Hobie starts asking Mitch a bunch of questions about, like, if I feel weird about a girl, then what should I do? And she's an older girl. And boy, did I have flashbacks to season one. But Mitch is totally cool with it. He thinks nothing of this at all. Um, And then Hobie is like, well, I wanted to kiss her. And Mitch mm-hmm. is like, you little companion of Abaddon, follower <laughs> of Adramalek, I shall recite the infernal names of our lord. Apu, Araman, Apollyon, Osmodius, Balberus, Balam, Baphomet, Beelzebub, Behemoth, Beheret, Bile, Shabot, Shimeres, Dambala, Demogorgon, Diabolus, Emma, Uranus, Aborum, how dare you? Actually, this is fine with me. You can kiss her. <laughs> yeah, he he doesn't really seem to care about what Hobie is telling him. Right. And apparently Harvin, Harvey gave him the talk anyways. I do. <laughs> I do a little bit like how this is revealed, where basically like Mitch is like, all right, I guess we need to have a sex talk sometime soon. And Hobie's like, all right, let's do it right now. And Mitch is like, dodge. <laughs> yep. nope, not now. Tomorrow. Got to yeah. care. And Hobie's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Whatever. I don't care. Um, and then Mitch is like, all right, yeah, we'll do it tomorrow. And then Hobie goes, oh, thank God, because ev- nothing Harvey told me made any sense. And Mitch just does a <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. spit take level of double take to the camera. And oh, God. Yeah, I kind of enjoyed that. It was it was actually very funny, but it was very stupid. Yep. And this is a very weird lead in because it leads into our next scene, which is Charlie finds a, sl- a spot to sleep that is basically just a set location from Blade Runner 2049. So, yeah, uh, my <laughs> note is Charlie goes to sleep in a factory from Blade Runner. Thank um, you. Yes. <laughs> oh, this is why we make a podcast together. <laughs> the other reference I pulled uh, was Footloose. I get very big Ooh. Footloose vibes from this as well. Um, but from, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess so. Yeah. That the, the like barn where he does flips kind of looks like this. Um, <laughs> I, I know what you mean, but the barn <laughs> where he does flips is such a great descriptor. We don't use that nearly enough. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many times in my life where I could be describing things as the barn where he does flips. But I just don't I just don't think of it enough. There is a wrestling match where there's, there a, is. there's a truck. <laughs> there's a truck with bales of hay and they're driving down a freeway and they have to have the match in that. Oh, they don't amazing. do any flips, though, because it is like late 80. No, it's early 90s. Uh, but it is still a truck of hay going down the freeway as people are wrestling yeah. on it. So that's close enough for me. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Uh, this th- this sorry, there's one part of the sleeping scene that's very important to me mm-hmm. specifically is that Mitch tucks Hobie in by stapling him in with his hands. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's very funny to me. 
Yeah, this whole thing is this very weird montage of contrasting shots of like Hobie being tucked in and loved and Charlie falling asleep on a piece of cardboard in Blade Runner. Um, But then the absolute weirdest part of this montage is that the second to last shot, not even the last shot, the second to last shot is Harvey falling asleep on a couch next to a bottle of Tums. And I was that Harvey. I thought that that was was Harvey. No, that was Harvey. What? Okay, that. Okay, so one, Tums don't do that. Uh, <laughs> two, what? <laughs> Why? Yeah, yeah, Michael. This plot is fucking stupid, and I hate yes. this episode. <laughs> I agree, but like, what? Why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had to rewind it a couple times because I didn't think that they would put Harvey in that shot, but they did. I didn't think they would include Harvey in this show, but they did. Yeah. Um, Speaking of characters, I wish they wouldn't have included in this show. Uh, Next up, uh, Hector, the guy who was asleep in uh, Eddie's tower, is here to be menacing towards Charlie um, while she sleeps, which isn't creepy at all. Don't Um, worry. Don't worry, though. He only takes her Neil Breen journal. (laughs) Yeah, he he steals her journal and runs off and the scene takes forever. Yep. Um, And then Eddie and Garner are given a sketch to the police and Harvey comes down from the couch where he has been asleep in the lifeguard headquarters and is like, hey, now that I'm homeless, too, can I crash with anyone? (sighs) I hate this episode. But Um, Eddie comes back with a good line. Does he? I don't even remember what it is. It says, come on, Harvey, you know how the marina feels about pets. Okay, yeah, that actually was pretty good. Yeah, but he says, I'm just kidding. It's it's cramped because I live on a fucking houseboat. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then he asks everyone else in the room if he can crash on their couch, and all of them say no in various there, different mocking ways. There is an important bit of lore here. Yeah. And that is that Garner... Has a new boo, and her name is Reva. And I'm very happy for him that he got over Cecilia Marie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. How did I remember that name? I fucking hate myself. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder, the real question is, how does she feel about Reefer? (laughs) Reva? I don't know how she feels about Reefer. I, I I bet it's not positive, because it's the 90s. Probably. Um, but yeah... After this, Mitch comes downstairs and says that everyone knows about Hector because his name is Hector the Collector. Um, and I fucking hate this show. Not even um, the Vivisector or the <laughs> or the, the yeah dialector. It's the Collector. <laughs> yeah, he his whole M.O. because he's a comic book villain because that's what the mentally ill and the homeless are is. And I, I group those two together in this case, specifically because, as we'll learn, Hector is, in fact, mentally ill, <laughs> not not as a blanket grouping there, um, but says that Hector's whole thing is he steals personal items so that he can make those memories his own. And then he was in a like psychiatric hospital for a while. And Garner's like, how did he escape? And Mitch is like, he didn't escape. He was released due to lack of funds. Um, But luckily, 
that's the most we have to care about. We don't have to actually do anything. Um, because it's the 90s and homeless people don't deserve our help unless we feel like they're worthy of it. I really hate this episode. Um, uh, can I interject here? Please. For something completely random mm-hmm. is, have you ever heard of the superhero Tatter Demalion? I cannot say that I have. Let me tell you about Tatter Demalion. Okay. He's a tap dancer. Okay. Who then becomes a wealthy business investor. And then the mob swindles him out of money. Then he becomes homeless. Okay. Then he discovers a power, which is he can, via touch, just make money disintegrate. What? Yeah. He has a key. He has gloves that have a chemical solution that dissolves paper products, such as dollar bills. So he's like, if I can't be rich, nobody's going to be rich. And he's a fucking villain instead of the socialist hero that he should be. Yeah, (laughs) this is like this is what everyone thinks AOC is. (laughs) (laughs) I I'm a little bit sad that it's that he has gloves that dissolve paper products because I was really hoping it was just a like weird ideological thing where just like anything that anyone considers currency, he can just make disappear like (laughs) that. That would be really good. Um, but, 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 yeah, uh, there's a line here, mm-hmm. um, of, uh, there's some like committee, evil committee, whatever they're called, the committee, the committee outfits him with sophisticated costume and equipment, which he uses to sneak up on unsuspecting victims and destroy their money, which I just feel like is the best sentence <laughs> That is pretty fantastic. It's so good. I mean, okay, I'm going to share with you a picture. Do you want to see a picture, Tattered a Million? Please. Okay. So, this. Also, is his name just Tattered Million? Tattered a Million. Tattered a Million. The word. Like, no, I, under- word. I understand. But, but is it just Tattered Million? Because he used to be a millionaire and he's in tatters. No. No, it's Tatterdemalion, as in the, the way the actual word Tatterdemalion is spelled. I, what word is that? Tatterdemalion? A Tatterdemalion, so Tatterdemalion basically means, like, um, being in raggish clothing. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a real word. Huh. I'd never heard that word before. Yep. Yep. Or it's like also a synonym of being in a decayed state or huh. condition. It's it's a cool name, but also like if you look at that picture of him, I'm kind of I kind of like dig the look a little bit. Everybody look up Tatterdemalion, T A T T E R D E M A L I O N mm-hmm. on Google Images, and you'll find some cool shit like I don't know him dissolving people's money. I guess yeah. um, truly the socialist hero we need. Yeah. Uh, bil- billionaires shouldn't exist. Uh, mm-hmm. Back to our episode. <laughs> God. Anyways, they draw a picture of Hector who looks like a character from Metalocalypse. And, and <laughs> he, uh, Holy shit, he totally does. Right? Yeah. Right? yeah. And then we get Kay telling Mitch he saw Hobie begging for money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, after that, Hobie goes back to Charlie and... She's like, my mom is missing. And also, she's a writer. 
Um, which again, I I didn't believe just because that seemed <laughs> too like empathetic for the show. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, and then Charlie is going through her backpack to read Hobie some of her poetry and realizes that her journal is stolen. Thanks. Uh, so God. they run off to go find it. Um, and then we get. I forget exactly why I wrote this note down, um, but the note is that the whole episode is really trying to paint it as there are two types of homeless people and only one of them deserve help. Um, And that is my basic premise with or basic problem with the premise of this episode is that they so much of this episode seems dedicated to being like there are, you know, the only homeless people who deserve our help are the ones who we feel like are worthy and who like conform to our idea of what a good, successful human is who just, you know, yeah. they're, they're a good quote unquote person, whatever that means. Yeah. And, you know, they just happen to have had something bad as opposed to, you know, those vagrants, which is a, such a shitty term. Yeah. Um, who are just criminals to the core and we shouldn't even try and help them because they might be dangerous and might stab us. Um, Sounds like a very Monty Markham thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, But yeah, now we get uh, Charlie and Hobie go back to the Blade Runner factory uh, to try and find Charlie's journal and are attacked by Hector, but they get away after Hobie smacks him in the head with a thing of wood. And then we get into more of what I was just ranting about, Mm -hmm. which is that Shawnee and Eddie have a classic liberal argument about how, well, we can't build more affordable housing because then these people might not want to get jobs. And that's bad for some reason, because then how are we supposed to feel superior to them? It's not even build new stuff. Shawnee says the we should take military-owned property that are empty buildings and yeah. turn the space for the homeless. And he yeah. says, no, they don't want to work. I was yeah. honestly shocked by this. I thought he was going to say, no, the military needs that, which yeah. also they don't. Well, but yes. either way, it's either way, it's not good. It's and either so way, bad. you're wrong. Yeah. But she does say, I have a feeling if they were given a chance, they would work, which is... Yeah. A lot better. It's, yeah, I mean, it's better. Right. I didn't say it was good. I said it was a lot better. (laughs) Yeah. But then it gets worse. Yeah, we don't have to think about this for too much longer because they see someone walk into the water just very slowly and start drowning themselves. And Eddie is like, I have to go rescue them. And Shawnee's like, you are stabbed. Don't do that. And Eddie's like, I can tell from looking at this guy from, you know, across the entire beach that he's homeless and therefore he might be dangerous. So you aren't allowed to do that. Only I can. So fucking pointlessly macho. Yeah. Um, So he goes in to rescue her, rescue this guy. But Shawnee follows him because she's not stupid. And I God, I wish the two of them would break up. Um, Yep. And then eventually Eddie rescues the guy and realizes that the guy was his age and then goes on a whole monologue. No, he isn't. (laughs) Very clearly not. Um, And then goes on a whole monologue about how he had thoughts of suicide at one point, too. But he's just 
too stubborn to go through with it. And he's real worked up about the fact that if he were less stubborn and had just given up like this guy, he might have been in that same position. And this is where I had to stop watching the episode because I was too mad. Is um, it because of Shawnee's line? No, it's because Shawnee's- of Eddie's line. Because Shawnee's line also was really bad after this. No, I that was also really bad. Um, I'm, I don't remember exactly what it was. She says, the homeless are hard to deal with because they bring out our worst fears. Right. I do now remember that line. Which is a statement. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the most... Uh, I'm just going to call it Joe and Jill Biden of a statement that I can <laughs> think of. Yeah, no, that that line that's, on top that's of Pelosi, scene, actually, that's Nancy Pelosi. Well, yeah, that line on top of the rest of the scene and Eddie's monologue is where I just had to pause it because I was like, I, I just refuse to accept that this show exists. Yeah, D- luckily, I think next episode is bad but not as bad but still I really hope bad so. it's maybe like a two instead of a one um yeah. but then we get we don't worry we get a lot better stuff this season again like we get i the, hope so we get the shang song episode which true like look there's gonna be like samurai sword fights like fuck yeah that's gonna be awesome uh we gotta get some you know there's some nuggets here and there and then season three everything will get back to normal season <laughs> one Baywatch watch stuff which is at least like sixes and sevens instead of yeah. ones and twos yeah i'd, I'd go for it i'd go for a season one episode right now yeah. gladly god yeah like season two is just so bad compared to so season bad. one um but yeah don't worry in case you thought this episode was about to get good nope mm. uh because now charlie and hobie are back on the baywatch uh and Hobie and Charlie are talking about the police sketch and uh, the guy who attacked them in the factory. And Charlie's like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. His name is Looney Tune. No, she she doesn't say that. Uh, she said he says, like, who was that guy? And she goes, he's a Looney Tune, uh, which is a little bit different, yet worse. Yeah, I. Yeah, I hate this episode. Yes. Um. And then finally, at this point, Hobie keeps being like, well, why don't you just go home? And she's like, I don't have a home and starts crying. And then Hobie just starts petting her. Yeah, it was so weird. He <laughs> starts like stroking her arm and then he moves to her hair. And it's it's very... so awkward. Well, this is clearly like an 11 year old being like, I'm nervous. Totally. This. No, that totally makes sense. The weirdest part is the framing. Because the very yes. first shot is a shot of her, and then Hobie's arm just comes in from left to frame <laughs> and pets her. And it was so fucking weird. It's it's very odd. Um, but then Mitch shows up in his truck, um, and, or in one of the lifeguard trucks, and is like, hey, Charlie, everything's going to be okay. Your mom's missing, but you should come to the lifeguard HQ um, because... Even though I know you just said you're worried that your mom won't be able to find you again, uh, it'll be okay because when she sees that you're missing from this spot that neither of you or your mom have as like a meeting place, she will (laughs) call the police and the police will know that you're at Lifeguard HQ and they will bring her to you. 
And every single part of that statement is garbage. Like part of it is not part of it is not in that part. Mitch will tell Garner. Sure. I have a girl named this at with me. And if someone comes to the station asking for this, you'll know that part is not garbage. The rest of it is absolute little kid garbage. Yes. Yeah. Um, But don't worry, we get a little interlude here to break the tension up, uh, which is that Harvey ordered Domino's. And they showed up in 29 minutes instead of 30. Okay, I'm so glad you got that. He doesn't get the pizza for free. And then the way he pays the delivery guy is by pointing to a pile of loose quarters on the table and saying, take what you need and keep the change. I hate Harvey so much. He's so bad. He's so, so bad. Yeah. So, yeah, next up, we go back to Mitch and Hobie's place uh, where Charlie is there as well. And she and Hobie are sitting at the counter eating. And she gives a whole monologue about how her mom used to work at the Blade Runner facility and then it got shut down and then they were living off unemployment for a while. But now they're homeless. Um, And the first thing Mitch says to her is, Charlie, has your mom ever used drugs or alcohol? And I wanted to punch him in the dick. I've always hated that that question because it's like ever. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, has she ever had a drink? Like. Sure. But like, I get why what they mean. It's as someone like me who, again, I'm not as gullible as I'm pretending to be. But like (laughs) as the person who also doesn't get idioms, I I take that sentence very literally. Sure. Has they ever used drugs or alcohol? Yeah. Yes. I have had a drink before. Exactly. That's the thing is like it's and it's, you know. To continue my rant about how fundamentally broken our, like, society is in the U.S., um, that's so frequently, like, having used drugs or alcohol at all is so frequently used as a, like, disqualifying tactic for being able to give people support and aid that they need. Like, it's so fucking shitty that we're like, oh, you've used drugs or alcohol or hell are even addicted to drugs or alcohol. Therefore, you are not a person deserving of our help. And often you are not a person like it's so it's so right. fucking infuriating. Like in this part, they're implying specifically that, like, the reason she's gone is because sure she's out doing something. But like. Yeah, I'm agreeing. I'm agree. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, but the the reason Mitch is asking it and he follows up with another question about if she's ever been abused by her mom or something like that. I forget exactly what it was. But basically, like, he's trying to tell if she meets the criteria for child welfare um, yep. and is trying to, like, get her into that system. And she is understandably, given how shitty that system is, um, not super happy about the idea. Nope. Um. And basically is like, listen, if you try and put me in the welfare system, I will run away. Um, And then Mitch is like, well, don't worry. You can stay here tonight. Um, I'll bunk with Hobie. And uh, and then Hobie, Hobie is like, oh, yeah, I will. I'll tuck you in, which. Yeah. No, no, no. You devotee of mammon, (laughs) confident of mania 
I beseech you, Anton Levy, and the dark names of the ruler below, Mantis, Mastema, Melatos, Mictian, Malcolm, Moloch, Mormo, Nurgak, Nuja, Oyamo, Rimon, Sebastios, Samael, Sedesek, Vesachin, Tianmot, Hortamus, Tunrida, Typhon, Yasin, Yenlo, Wang. And then Charlie and Mitch all make faces like they're really super into this. And it gets mm-hmm. super fucking weird and horny. Yeah. And I was not cool with this. Like, yeah. Charlie is definitely making these like, oh, yeah, you can tuck me in faces. And I'm like, what yeah. is going on? Mitch is yeah. like, yeah, yeah. What, what is happening here? Yeah. The no. Level- The level of horny between Hobie and Charlie in this episode is very uncomfortable because Hobie is canonically, what, 10 now? 11. 11, and she's 14, probably. Yep. Like, we're never given her age explicitly, but it, oh, God, it's just bad. There's just no redeeming part of this episode. When I first watched this, I sent Morgan an audio message that said, no, no, horny Hobie. H.H. Hulk Hogan, brother, no! (laughs) I don't want this. Like, this is literally the last thing I wanted Mm -hmm. is fucking Hobie being horny at 11 on his reboot. Like, no, get out of here. Yeah. And things only get worse. Yeah, and specifically being horny towards a girl who, like, uh, the power dynamic there is not great. Well, also, especially given the way she's already, like, treated him before. Yeah. It's already bad. Uh, But also the age thing on top of that. Yeah. But don't worry. We've got a real good scene next, uh, which is that Harvey is at the beach just ogling women and uh, bumping into them randomly all the time. And all of the women seem into this. Yeah. Um, Some woman gives him her number, which. which Yeah. Why would yeah. you do that? But then he shows up to a pool and uh, stares at the pool. And then we get a glimpse into his fantasy, which is that there's a bunch of women in swimsuits in the pool who are really horny for him. Um, and the scene goes on forever. And yep. it's super male gazy, of course. Yes. And I really hate Harvey and everything involving him so since we we both have the same music apparently mm-hmm. let's talk about this music um the credits say this is the song is by vasily but vasily only does instrumental music it's sad that i as someone who's really into music i now also know the work of the baywatch remastered artists <laughs> uh, this is not something i really wanted to know about but yeah. it is um so Vasily is an instrumental artist, uh, and the song that they credit for him, Skip, Skip, Run, is actually a, I'm gonna, a slight spoiler, is from a future episode where uh, there's a montage where Gardner chases after a dog. Um, Great. It's very fun. No, it's very funny. Oh, okay. Uh, don't worry. It's very cute. Uh, he's just like, come back here, you little rascal. Ah, ah. And then it, it, the dog is just like running around things. He's like, no, where's that dog? Um, <laughs> very fun. Uh, so that's not this song. Um, no. I don't know who does this song. I tried to find out and I couldn't. But this song is an F minus. It fucking sucks. Yeah. Here are the lyrics. Oh, uh, hey, hey, you. Oh, uh, hey, hey, you. Baby, 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 baby. You're my fantasy. Baby, 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 baby. 
I think you're my destiny and I want your love and I want your heart and I want it all tonight and I want your love and I want your heart. I want it all tonight. Hey, you I want you. Hey, you I want to be with you. Hey, you. I want you. <laughs> hey, you. I want to be with you. Hey, you. I want you. I want to be with you. I want you. And then luckily we find out Harvey's actually imagined all of this. Um, yeah. You know, women actually want to be with him. No. Except that for some reason, a lot of very attractive women do. I. And I it's don't. Because he has a huge ass schlong, dude. Yeah, it's gotta be. <laughs> That's not a real. <laughs> I mean, it's not, but in it the is, 90s, but it's not. in this show, it sure is. Absolutely. Well, they can't. I, can they see that? I don't. It's not. Uh, look, we're not going to talk more about Harvey's dick. No. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next up. Let's talk uh, about someone else's dick instead. <laughs> not Harvey's. Please. Yeah. Uh, next up, we go back to Mitch's place where Hobie and Charlie are coming downstairs and Eddie's there instead of Mitch. And they talk for a little bit. And then Mitch calls to tell Eddie that they found Charlie's mom and she was in jail. But it was a mistake. Yeah, and they don't delve into this further. Nope. They do nope. not explain any of that. Um, and I really thought that this was a lie and that it was going to be something sketchy. But nope, it's just unexplained. So something else besides this, uh, uh, in this scene besides that, that is, I mean, that's very weird. But something mm-hmm. else is, do you notice that every single time Hobie's in trouble that involves another person, Eddie shows up at his house? Yes. Yes. I. It was so weird. I'm like, why is and Eddie's just there like, hey, Hobes. Yeah. Who's this? Hey, I'm Eddie. Yeah. Trouble. God. Cool. I'm going to be your surrogate <laughs> dad. And it's like, go away. Like, yeah. stop. I, I don't. I'd rather have. I don't fucking know. Like, Ben. Yeah. Maybe. Like, I'd rather have Ben just be like, I'm kind of old and I'm an authority figure. And like, hey, just just watch it instead of Eddie being like. Uh, Eddie, just being Eddie. Yeah, especially because Eddie, like, I don't know. I always just get such weird vibes from him in those scenes. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah. It always just feels like a. It feels like he's kind of talking down to Hobie, and of b. Course. It's very much that he's like a proxy for news that Mitch doesn't want to give to Hobie, and it's so weird. Okay, so. The way he t- he he acts is kind of like, do you know, there's some people who are like, um, there's specifically like, I-, I think of like some couples who will make like jokes with each other when they're like, they're hanging out with just one person who's like, maybe not part of, you know, who's not part of the couple. Who's, sure. Who's maybe not, who's single. And this kind of makes some jokes and they're just like kind of playfully making fun of them to mm-hmm. the point where it's like not fun for that person anymore. So it's like, oh, so like, do you like what do you do with your life yada yada and it's like why are you two like both like did you pre-plan these questions together like, as, <laughs> as a group do you do this to everybody do you like ask everybody what their dating life is as a as a couple and then like huh. what what is this coordinated thing that you do it's it's very much like eddie is doing that while alone he yeah does that to everybody where he's like i'm gonna ask you questions that seem normal but i'm actually just kind of making fun of you the entire time like, he's yeah. the kind of person who would totally be like, look, Hobie, I want you to go on a date with my girlfriend. And then, like, she'll, like he'll, he'll go on this, in quotes, date with her. 
and should be like, I'm going to buy you an ice cream. And then we're going to end up with another fucking situation where Hopi's <laughs> like, I'm in love with Shawnee. Yeah, I was going to say, like, no, canonically, this is already season one. Yes, yes. But this time, Eddie approves of it. Yeah. God. Anyways, mm-hmm. we're going to even skip, just skip the Hector gathering his things part. Go yeah. to the next scene. Yeah. Um, Mitch brings Charlie's mom, June, to his house. But when they go to find Charlie, she ran away to find the journal. So this is an important part here where I have to ask in your version. Mm-hmm. Do you get the ominous music each time something bad happens? Oh, yeah. It's real heavy handed. It's so eerie. It kind of sounds like a mix between like, it's like the Neil Breen Faithful Findings, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very like, look at this creepy ghost kind of thing. (laughs) It's very much in Unhappily Ever After. We killed off this character. Then the director came back, was like, she's not dead. Ah, (laughs) like it's like creepy, yet like comical. And it happens. They they use it as a stinger like 19, 20 times in this oh, yeah. episode. It's so overused. So the same thing that happens after Eddie gets stabbed, the same music is, she's gone! And it's like, mm-hmm. this is a different musical cue, guys. So get a better sound department. Yeah. This episode is bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, once they realize that Charlie's gone, June, Eddie... Hobie and Mitch all go out searching for her. Um, Charlie's gone to find Hector and tries to steal her journal back, but he wakes up and chases her. And then Mitch and everyone find the two of them just as Hector pushes her into the water. So Mitch dives, what, 30 feet, 40 feet off a bridge to go save her? The scene Um, literally takes 10 seconds. It's so long. It's so... It's the most Mitch Buchanan thing yes. I could think of. Like, first season had Mitch jumps off of a helicopter onto a moving boat, mm-hmm. climb climb a warehouse like Assassin's Creed. This is this is perfect Mitch Buchanan stuff. Jump oh, yeah. off a fucking high bridge. Yeah, I love this scene. Like, I, I fucking love it. It's so corny. I This is what I want. I want more of this shit. Yeah. I also love, so the next scene is that uh, Eddie is just doing sick drifts in Mitch's truck (laughs) while Hector runs away. Like, it's totally unnecessary. It's so much slower than just driving the line properly, but it does look real cool. Um, And then Mitch rescues Charlie. Eddie chases down Hector and then Hector says some shit to Eddie about how this is my stuff. And then Eddie finally realizes that Hector uh, maybe is something vaguely resembling a person. I don't believe that Eddie has enough emotional maturity to actually recognize that Hector is a real person going through struggles who maybe needs some help, but at least doesn't think of him as subhuman anymore, probably. Um, And then we go back to Mitch's place where Charlie's reading some poetry to Mitch K., Hobie and June. Oh, and and Shawnee and Eddie. Actually, I, I wrote down the poem. Oh, it's Would yeah, you, it's interesting. Would you like to hear the poem? Please. I used to think my bedroom was too small. I didn't. She didn't. She doesn't say it like that. I used to think my bedroom was too small. That's that's more what she says it like. Yeah. Until I didn't have a bedroom at all. 
I woke up this morning with a snail next to my hand. I touched him and he went into his shell. I sometimes wish I had a shell that I could call my own. Then I wouldn't be ashamed when someone asked me where I lived because I'd always and forever have a home. I gotta say, honestly, for like being 13, 14, whatever, that is not bad. No, it's not a bad poem. Uh, it's not high school poet laureate saying the word bubbly six times in a sentence. <laughs> but, you know. What? Okay. okay. So at my high school, you know, they had like poet laureates and whatever. And <laughs> okay. they would always have this style of like, I call it modern poetry, which is they would, they would do things like, let me think of something like, then I look at the, the like, I look at the icky gooey substance that is my mind and it takes me to a not here not there nor everywhere kind of state of being in my here to now forever existence it's always just like these weird descriptors in the middle Mm -hmm. of like everything so that one of my favorite and my favorite i mean least favorite ones was this one girl who's like i'm a poet laureate it means that you know like I write a lot of poems and like I represent the school. So all my poems are written by me rearranging fridge magnets. And this is the one I wrote for you today in my bath. What? Oh, I was going to say it's very Instagram in a pre Instagram era. <laughs> this was 2008 that she did yeah. this. Yeah. In my bubbly bathtub. There are bubbles. Thank you. And I was like, <laughs> the fuck was yeah. that? Yeah, I could have written that. Literally in my sleep, I sleep talk better (laughs) poems than that. I don't even fucking sleep talk. Yeah. And I could write that. I actually wrote, one day I'll have to read this to you. I wrote a poem. I actually, I I, I could find it right now if I really wanted to. Uh, (laughs) It's up to you. I could do it for the podcast. Uh, Is uh, I wrote a poem mocking this style of, of poetry because I was, you know, a dick. (laughs) <laughs> um, I read it in front of them at an open mic. Also in front wow. of my teacher who like encouraged it. Um, one of them was my friend. And I was like, yo, Julian, I love you. This is dedicated to you. <laughs> and look, look, times have changed. Sure. I'm a different person now. Yeah. However, I still think it's great. Uh, yeah, that's it was, pretty fucking funny. <laughs> it, it's me and my most like angsty going like, I'll fucking show them what poetry is. <laughs> you know, it's like the stupidest flex possible. It is, but also I guarantee you that is a Disney Channel original movie. Oh, look, I just watched a three hour <laughs> video on Jenny Nicholson's The Vampire Diaries video. And it's I can assure you if video it is, if not Disney, it's whatever the shit that is. CW, I think. Well, yeah, it's it's CW. Yeah, this episode is bad and I don't like talking about it. Um, but luckily, it's almost done um, because after after Charlie reads her poetry, uh, Kay is like, that was really good. And you and your mom should come work for me at the paper. And it's all. Well, I don't think she gives Charlie a job. That would be child labor issues. I mean, she says that she'll have Charlie write poetry for the paper and pay her. So no, she no, no, she doesn't. She said that she will put some of her and her mom's poetry in. And then she says she would need extra help around the paper and looks at her mom. Right. But Hobie asks like when Kay is like, I'll put some of your poetry in the paper. It pays. Right. And Kay says, of course. 
Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> paying for poetry, sure. Uh, yeah. I don't think that means she's hiring her. It, sure. It's it's more of a like you know, uh, what is it like five? Not five hundred one c three. That's the charity. Um, Ten ninety nine. This kind joke of again. <laughs> It's not a, <laughs> not a, you know, not a W-2 kind of situation for Charlie yet. She'll be paying that self-employment tax. <laughs> My joke is not as good as this joke. I'm just going to say that. All right. Um, then Harvey shows up. And Boy, this is he. my realization. Mm-hmm. Harvey is written to be a Three Stooges character. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way he reads all of his lines. All of literally all of yeah. his lines are read like he's one of the three stooges. And when you when you think of it like that, it makes perfect sense that the whole literal point is that they don't know how to write a comic relief. And that's what they're trying to write. They're trying to write Mo Curly, Mo Curly and Larry yeah. in one character on this show. And they realize, no, he can't be like this fucking dick bag, which is why he's only in 12 episodes of this goddamn season. Thank God. He's just gone from the show. He never shows back up again. But well, I look well, forward to that day. <laughs> same. Because you know what he's doing, Morgan? He's moving into an apartment where stewardess live and he can live there when they're not around. It's so fucking weird. At least, thank God, they're not around. Yeah. He says it in the horniest way possible, too, where he's like, I convinced 32 hot stewardesses to let me live in their apartment. They're all going to be my roommates. And Mitch is like, but but no, one of them didn't. But um, one of them is an alligator. Which one, <laughs> which one is it? Watch as Harvey finds out well, <laughs> next time on on. Uh, oh, what are we going to call? It? What are we going to call? It? Uh, oh, God. Um, uh, Hotel get- Harvey. <laughs> no. Uh, let's see. Um, get bit feels like ooh. it could be something. Ooh. Um, ooh, ooh, a bit farther from the truth. Ooh, that, that one, that one's, that one's very good. I like that one. Um, I'm thinking we got to get, uh, you know, everything comes in threes. Um, uh, mm-hmm. oh, oh, how about alligators in the armoire? <laughs> No, see, alligators in the armoire feels more like it's like a Miss like, Piggle Wiggle story. <laughs> a what? You don't know Miss Piggle Wiggle? No. What? Okay, Miss Piggle Wiggle is like a children's book uh, series. It's about Miss Piggle Wiggle. Oh my god, it's been years since I've read her and even had to reference her. Uh, wait, what? What? Oh, oh, thank God. So. I got really confused because I read that Miss Piggle Wiggle was created by Shelley Duvall. And they're like, no, no, no. The TV series was created by Shelley Duvall. And I'm like, oh, OK, thank the fucking Lord. That would be really weird. If I didn't know that. Uh, basically, the s- what? The screenshots from this show are horrifying. OK, I haven't even looked at the TV show. Like, I know the books. Uh, I'm going I'm to okay, drop some pictures in. Oh, uh, God. Yeah. It's I want really this bad. in my life. I want this in my <laughs> life. Holy shit. I. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is like the most patchwork quilt nightmare possible. Yeah. I love this. Oh, my God. OK, well, so 
you're never gonna watch that. Uh, no. Uh, but it's basically Miss Pickle Wiggle teaches children how to behave. She's a lady who lives in an upside down house mm. in a lively neighborhood and inhabited mainly by children who have, you know, like bad habits. And so <laughs> she has so she has a chest full of magical cures left to her by her deceased husband, Mr. Piggle Wiggle, who was a pirate. And Miss Piggle Wiggle provides parents <laughs> cures for their children's bad habits. Okay. So cures range from the mundane. The won't pick up toys cure involves allowing a small boy to continue leaving his toys scattered about his room until the room becomes so messy he is unable to escape from his room, which is saw-like torture to yeah. the fantastic the interrupting cure is a special powder that is blown on the interrupter with the effect that it causes the person to become temporarily mute each time he or she tries to interrupt someone um wow. and so they're based off of stories that betty mcdonald the writer would make up for her daughter's nephews and nieces uh and i'm like in my mind betty mcdonald a longtime resident of seattle would be like, so, hey, you know that seriously not that bad thing that you do? If you keep doing it, you're going to fucking die, you little shit. Yeah. <laughs> Your room is going to fill up with toys, and you won't be able to breathe, and no one will save you, you yeah. little trash bag. Yeah. Fucking, oh, God. S- speaking of trash bags, <laughs> Morgan. Yeah. Actually, that's a horrible lead-in to the mm, scene. It really is. <laughs> yeah, um, nope, take that back. Uh, so, yeah, after Harvey uh, finishes describing his fetish, uh, Charlie and Hobie talk about how uh, Hobie is the only reason that Charlie's still alive and is going to have a house, and it's like, fucking, you've known each other for 24 hours. Like, pump the brakes. Um, mm-hmm. But she kisses but him. But he talked on- her in. yeah. Um, but she, she kisses him on the cheek and Hobie celebrates this, uh, and then asks Mitch what he should do next. And then Mitch is like, you know how sometimes I wrote it, I wrote it down. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Hobe, a kiss (laughs) is like a wave. Catch the right one. Unbelievable. Catch the wrong one. Wipe out. Well, how do you how do you tell the difference? Well, when the waves are over your head, stay out of the water. And then Hobie calls for Harvey and then it ends. Yeah. It's really stupid. I hated this episode. Yeah. So on a scale, Mm -hmm. one to ten, Mm -hmm. one is ruining your food so bad that the smoke alarm goes off and ten is getting your boy toy David Hasselhoff to talk to you about Wuthering Heights, which... By the way, again, I watched Jenny Nicholson's video <laughs> and she references the fact that Vampire Diaries talks about Wuthering Heights. And I'm like, I can't fucking escape this book now. Um, <laughs> where would you rate this? Um, so I think I think I'm going to have to go with our first ever zero rating um, and give this a zero. Um, and I'm going to say that a zero is uh, forcing someone to watch this episode. Yeah, that's 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 fair. <laughs> uh, how about you? Well, I'm going to add a little bit more description to mine, okay? Uh, which is I was actually reading an article today that I think is very, very relevant. Uh, it's from NowToronto.com. It's, mm-hmm. it's from today. It's Toronto mobilizes park ambassadors to clear homeless encampments. So 
in Toronto, uh, there's this church called the Holy Trinity Church, and they uh, they got all these certification papers, gave them to homeless people, and said, "You can live on our property, or, or uh, the, like the church's property." So basically, it was it kind of like what they do, like a uh, uh, tent city kind of thing, which is I hate that term. But, yeah. Um, but basically, yeah, all the people could stay on the property. Um, but then uh, city park ambassadors came by daily to try and force everyone off the property. Wow. So apparently uh, there's like some s- Toronto City funded programs that they decided in a response to homelessness back in 2003 called Streets to Homes that would move street involved people into housing. Um, but since the number of people living in parks increased during the pandemic, housing activists and people experience homelessness say they are not clear on the ambassador's roles. Mm-hmm. So it's a long article. Uh, it's a good article, though. Uh, it talks about it has some pictures of like the program and, and the situation of like uh, an actual like chart of like what they're supposed to be doing mm. um, and the increased focus on the encampment in parks, like ambassadors and what they do. And then the training that they're supposed to be getting on how to deal with, you know, what they're supposed to do with homeless people. Sure. Uh, it, it's yeah, it's very long. Big part is we don't know what their role is supposed to be. And then there's more 311, which is like police and related services mm-hmm. uh, calls directed towards encampments. Mm-hmm. So basically, my point with all of this is that it is 2021 and people still haven't gotten better mm-hmm. about talking about homeless people or uh, at risk living. I I haven't talked about this on the podcast. Not that I was homeless. Well, that sounds like a weird lead up is that <laughs> uh, I worked for a while at a company that provided subsidized housing to homeless or at risk uh, families, mm-hmm. specifically in uh, Seattle area. And so what they would do is they would um, they would and, and this is flawed. This is and I have the opinions I have now because this is flawed. Basically, you'd subsidize a housing situation that was like lower like low to middle like low to low middle class housing situations put homeless families in there and then subsidize them up to a time and then say you're on your own Um, they were never ready sure right so part of the problem with this is it's in some of the same way of like the way eddie thinks which is like well, they were they weren't they're not motivated or whatever. Yeah. So it's like you're like you put them in, you're expected that all their problems go away the moment they have a house. But yeah. Really, that's not the problem. Like totally. If like people go from a lot of people go from having a living situation, and the problem isn't that they had the living situation; it's something else that causes them to become homeless. And many people who are in like the outer band of what we call homeless actually have a living situation. Mm-hmm. It's just. So, like, fucking shitty uh, that we classify it under this banner. Yeah. So, to not PSA at people, because that's what this episode did in the first place. I think the difference is that this PSA is uh, useful and not shitty. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I mean, so, I mean, if, like, you know someone who has, like, 
uh, facing issues of like homelessness are going to become homeless or something related. Like there's loads of places you can call. Just don't call these private companies that are like, put you in housing because it's going to put them in housing and then ditch them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's honestly kind of worse than not helping people because you offer someone a lifeline and that you build trust and then you kind of take it away. Yeah. It's like, it's like sink or swim. And like 90% of the time they sink and then they yeah. come back and you're like, well, we can't provide you more. We already gave you something. Well, exactly. Like, f- f- absolutely. Fuck off. And because it's private, like they're, they're, they're regulations different and like, we don't have enough money. We're a private, you know, fund. Mm-hmm. We don't get money from the government and the government isn't helping. And really, honestly, the only places that are actually helping like to any degree uh, as much as I kind of hate to say it is just these random churches that are like, yeah, like, yeah, here's 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 a place. And when we have some food, we'll give you some food and we're not going to kick you off. Yeah, we'll just be like, live here, which. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's helpful. Yeah, uh, it's it's not the most helpful, but the other okay. one, the other one I'll definitely very highly recommend from everything I've heard is just food banks in general. Like what's what's most useful, honestly, like, you know, canned goods and volunteering your time is fine. But money like food banks can put money to use in ways that like you as the individual consumer just don't even have the opportunity to like they can score bulk deals on food and things like that if they have the like capital available. Or honestly, here's here's the other really good thing to do. Just give people money. Like, oh, yeah. If someone asks you for money and you have cash on you and can afford to just give them some money because people know what is going to be best for them way better than you do. Like, yep. Yep. It's one of the it's one of the sad things about the fact that I forget to ever carry around cash. Same. I forget to do that Um, when I used to carry around cash a lot back in college i did absolutely mm-hmm. uh because there's someone you can help but as morgan said like food banks I, I worked at a food bank for a while um which leads me into a very side point funny food bank story before i give my rating <laughs> this is a very very random story and okay. i'm only saying this because i want to drag on this episode clearly which <laughs> is that I used to have a Thor's hammer necklace and I used to wear it quite a bit because okay. that, that was the kind of person that I, that I was. Sure. And this guy comes up to me at the food bank and is like, Oh, Hey, cool Thor's hammer necklace. And I'm like, Oh, thanks man. And he goes, I actually do a lot of Nordic themed art. And I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. Like oh, what cool. kind of stuff? He's like, Oh, I, you know, I, I, I draw pictures and stuff because for a lot of mythology. I was like, Oh, that's really cool. Like, how can I see some of your art? He's like, I actually have a website. Um, that a friend helped me put up and here's a card. So he gives me his card. I was like, cool, thanks. I'll look at this later. And so then I take it back. So I was at, uh, uh, this is when I was at college and, uh, there was this area where like, like commuter students could go hang out. So I go hang out there and I'm like, I should look at this card. So I pull it out and I was not expecting what I saw, which was, uh, Okay, so imagine a purple spinny vortex in the background. Okay. And there's like a chair flying through the sky. And then there's like a man who is, so uh, he, he has a goat head. <laughs> and one of his legs is a peg leg. Okay. And he's fucking this woman in lingerie on like a bed oh. from behind. And one of her legs is a goat leg because one of his legs is a peg leg. What? Right. 
and then one of her arms is also a peg arm. What? Uh, and, and then there's a second chair there, like right next to the bed. And then what? there's like a Thor's hammer, like up in the the top right corner. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? How is this Nordic? Huh. Like, how is this Nordic theme? Yeah. Uh, it was very very weird. And then. Like a few months later, because this was for like a, a class or I was like, you have to do volunteer hours mm-hmm. uh, a month later, like this guy comes and he's like, so th- I met this guy who gave me this like picture and it's like, oh, this goat man fucking this one country. <laughs> and I was like, oh, dude, I know that guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. And so we both like ha- I still had mine because I was like, I- this is just like a conversation starter now. Yeah. We both like pinned ours up on the wall before oh, like some great. like campus security came by and we're like. We, we cannot have this here. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is Nordic art, sir. <laughs> you taking this down is offensive to the culture that I don't that I am not a part of. <laughs> no, I don't actually think any culture belongs to this picture, but no. it's offensive to it, whatever it is, um, which brings me to the point of this of this rating, mm-hmm. which is this. If this is offensive to whatever it is, mm-hmm. this is a zero and a zero is I would say, ironically, the world if Baywatch should not exist. However, uh, this episode is also a zero. So if Baywatch could have existed without this episode, I would have been fine. Uh, <laughs> quite a few of these episodes, honestly. Yeah, I would have loved to run <laughs> season one. Just fine. It's good. I liked it. You know, I, I had a great time with it. And season two has been absolute shit. And this next episode. It's also going to be absolute shit, uh, yeah. which, which reminds me, Morgan. Oh, I forgot to say we have our third rating um, here from Sandcrab277. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Morgan, do you want me to read it or would you like to read it? Oh, you can you can go ahead. OK, it's it's one star. All right. It's why the show fails. The basic premise is that everything can be solved at lifeguard headquarters when in true life it cannot. Like, no fucking duh, dude. Uh, everyone knows this program was established to showcase David Hasselhoff. It even has his real life wife on it, playing an independent media voice. Mitch's values aren't so great because he has a lot of friends like Court and his brother Buzz to drag him down. Not to mention his troublemaking son, Hobie, who acts like he has never been disciplined or counseled and falls for every scam on Earth. I was stupefied this show made it past season one. Four out of eight people found this helpful. I was one of the four uh, because I just upvote his stuff now. I so his problem is that this episode is too optimistic. Yes. OK. <laughs> sure. Why not? Uh, but I'm just going to warn you. Our <laughs> next like three episodes oh, are going to be rough. All right. They're going to be rough. Uh, and then we're going to get one that's not so rough. And then we're going to get another one that's maybe not as rough. And then we're going to get fucking awesome samurai shit. Hell so, yeah. uh, you know, we have some time to uh, uh, we, we have some time and then it's going to get bad again. Um, and then it's going to get good again. So, you know, we we deal with some shit. We're going to come back. It's going to be OK. Uh, we'll get through this all together. Us. Mm-hmm. The rookies, as I am calling our fans, of which there is two of, uh, <laughs> and they are us. Uh, but Morgan, 
Our next episode is called Thin or Die. Yep. So you know it's going to suck. Yeah, boy. Here's the Baywatch wiki information. You don't even need to. You can already say you hate it. Like, you don't even need to worry. Yes. You already hate it. Eddie teaches an overweight girl named Nicole who has loved him from afar. The abhorrence of self-esteem. Already hate it. While Mitch and Hobie adopt a dog that is the only witness to the elders kidnapping and who makes Mitch life a living misery. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. Okay. I, all right. Okay. IMDb description. This is way worse. <laughs> Great. After an argument with Shawnee about their likes and dislikes, Eddie decides to make her jealous by going out on a blind date with a certain Nicole. No one ever says that. A woman yeah. from a phone answering service in Santa Monica who turns out to be a very overweight woman. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, Mitch and Harvey rescue a stray dog far out in the ocean, which is owned by a captive widow. Mitch takes the dog home to Hopi, where the it, that's a weird sentence, where the dog proceeds to make Mitch's life miserable by messing up the house and interferes with his dinner date. Um, Yeah, I... Wow. Yeah, um, it's not not necessarily great, but it is a guest episode. Yes. Um, So we will have that to look forward to. Uh, Hopefully that will make things so much better because someone else will be able to share our pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So but Morgan, yeah. Oh yeah. Go ahead. No, I was gonna do the. I was gonna, just gonna do your job there. I was gonna do the thing where I asked you if you have anything else. I don't have anything else. So Morgan, do you have anything else? No. No. Okay. Yeah. yeah I guess uh, all that's left to say is thank you all for listening to this episode of Baywatch Rookie School. If you want to find us on Twitter, our show handle is at Rookie School Pod. I'm at Morgan P Thrap. And I'm at Snotsnit, very sadly, at (laughs) S-N-O-T-S-N-I-T. We'll see you next week. And just remember, hips, lips, and fingertips. But none of that weird, horny shit. No, never. This is a firmly anti-horny podcast, as evidenced by all of our previous episodes. All hail Satan! (laughs) Hmm. <laughs>